we have celebrated Juneteenth, but unfortunately, we are still waiting on change. Let's get into it. Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. To me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. Shalom, 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 my brothers and sisters, and welcome to another episode of Jacob Seed Podcast, where the diaspora speaks. The whole purpose of this podcast is to get uplifting, thought-provoking, encouraging content out to the African-American community who are a part of the African-Semitic diaspora. I am your host, Yemi Yahoo, and I am so glad that you guys have joined us on the show today. Listen, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, you're hearing a uh, you're hearing this at your friend's house in your friend's car. Go ahead and get on your your phone, uh, get on your computer, wherever you um, subscribe to your favorite podcast. Go ahead and put me in your favorites. Go ahead and subscribe, like and share uh, this podcast. Um, also, go check out my Patreon. Uh, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Jacob C Podcast. Uh, all of our pod- regular podcast episodes are free, but if you become a Patreon, if you support the page, uh, you'll get access to all of the uh, uh, the video versions of these podcasts, exclusive interviews, um, uh, monthly encouragements, all of those cool things, uh, Q&As, all those cool things uh, right there in the description, uh, depending on what tier that you join on. Also, if you don't follow us on social media, follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Jacob C12, at Jacob C12 on Instagram, and I believe it's Jacob C Podcast on uh, Facebook. Uh, make sure you follow us right there so you can always be um, uh, up to date and on time with things going on here at Jacob C Podcast. Um, and you can catch uh, podcasts like this all the time because I do podcast episodes like this all the time. Don't miss out on it. Uh, so, as I said in the uh, intro, uh, it's July now as I'm recording this, July 2021. And uh, last month, uh, we we celebrated Juneteenth. Um, at least if you are a melanated person and your ancestors got over here on a ship uh, involuntarily, aka chattel slavery here in America, you should have celebrated Juneteenth. Uh, I know some people want to be cynical. Say, oh, what are we celebrating for? We ain't even all the way free. Well, you're free-ish. And that's probably about as good as it's going to get in this country, at least right now. Um, and especially if you are Hebrew and you celebrate Hanukkah or Hanukkah, if you celebrate Purim, uh, those are celebrations of freedom. And especially we see in Hanukkah, our people never really got free, but we still celebrated the the miracle of the temple and the miracle of the uh, of the menorah being lit for eight days. Right. Um, the miracle of that one battle that we won. The same with Purim and the story of Esther. And um, uh, we know her real name was Hadassah and uh, uh, just the, 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 the battle that she won, right, for her people. Um, her and her uncle Mordecai, we celebrate that. But we know times afterward, we slipped right back into slavery, uh, whether it was physical, mental, or 
financial. And nothing new, as King Solomon would say, is under the sun. Uh, but today I want to I want to kick off a new series. I want to try to try to do this once a month called uh, Waiting on Change. Waiting on change, right? So as we were celebrating Juneteenth, which we should should have been doing, uh, we're still fighting for different things. We're still waiting for change. <clears throat> so the question would be, what are we still waiting for, or what are we still fighting for? What what is the change that we're still waiting for? And I'll name off a few, and then we'll pinpoint today uh, one of these topics um, on today. Today we will be talking about um, uh, Jay. Um, uh, I want to get it right. J. Lop, I want to say that's what it's called, but I think I'm saying it wrong. Is uh, a juvenile per, uh, life without parole? Juvenile life without parole. But these are all the things that we are still waiting on change for. So, protecting voting rights, living wages, police and criminal justice reform, abolishing uh, juvenile uh, life without parole. Uh, creating and protecting accurate black history curriculums in schools, wage parities, safe and affordable housing, support for black farmers, support for black businesses, universal, universal daycare slash pre-K, true universal health care, environmental justice, supporting all humans seeking asylum, ending hunger in food, um, uh, uh, insecurities and homelessness and reparations. All right. Uh, we're going to try to be discussing all those things in these next coming months. I'm going to try to get different people here on Jacob C podcast who are knowledgeable about each one of the subjects. And if I can't get them here physically, obviously, you know me, I'm a, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to find some video on YouTube, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, whatever it may be that will uh, explain in depth kind of short videos that would that have a great explanation um, on what's going on. <clears throat> right here um, in the nation, all right, or right here in, yes, right here in the United States as it pertains to these subjects. So right now what we're going to talk about is a juvenile life without the possibility of parole. Juvenile life sentencing without the possibility of parole. All right. I'm going to read you something first from uh, the sentencing project so you can get a, a little bit of a roundabout view of actually what this is and who it impacts and why this is important for the African-American community. Because remember, we do episodes that, that about subjects that are all over the place, but somehow or another, uh, they do <clears throat> they do have an impact, whether positive or negative, uh, they do have an impact on um, the African-American community. Um, but before I do that, let me pull up uh, the verse that talks about um, loving justice, <clears throat> about loving justice, right? Um, I believe that is Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8. It, it, and it reads, <clears throat> hold on, let me find the... Uh, Find it here for a second. I do apologize. Micah 6, 8, it reads, He hath showed, he hath shewed me, O man, what is good. And what doeth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. To do justly, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. I want to focus here on today on the part that says do justly. We are supposed to uh, uh, dispense justice. Uh, we know that we serve a Elohim who uh, uh, believes in a balanced scale, not unbalanced scales. We know that unbalanced scales in whatever arena is against Torah. All right. <clears throat> and if you guys are listening to this for the first time, uh, Torah, are the first five books of the Bible. And um, that's where I base all of my worldview off of is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, if it don't line up with that, then I, I really can't rock with it. All right. <clears throat> So today we're going to be talking about justice in the form of abolishing or trying to abolish. Why should we want to abolish juvenile life without parole sentencing? So going back to the sentencing project, um, let's see. We're going to look at the people. They have a section in here, sentencingproject.org. Uh, they have an article on uh, juvenile life without parole sentencings. <clears throat> And it talks about the experiences that some of these childs have, these children have, I'm sorry, uh, the racial disparities and the cost of life sentencing. All right. Um, so we're going to we're going to read all of that. And then at the end, we're going to have an expert come on and kind of explain more about this topic and why it's just so corrosive, especially for the black community. So he has he's not talking about the black community um, specifically. Uh, but you can deduct from what he's saying um, that uh, this is very corrosive. And you'll hear even in the sentencing project, this is very corrosive in the black community because um, if a child is sentenced to life in prison as a child, and the majority we'll see here are African-American children, unfortunately, uh, that's uh, all of a lot of our young minds, a lot of our young creative minds, our legacies, our futures behind bars forever without the possibility of getting out. And in a lot of these cases, the children are the victims. The children are, I remember there's a case right here in Tennessee. I can't remember the young girl's name, uh, but she was, she was trafficked as a child. And she, she ended up in self-defense, killed her assault, uh, the, killed the man who was assaulting her. She ended up getting life without parole. For murder. But she was the one being trafficked. And so many of those these cases, whether it's sex trafficking or whether the child is just raised in a environment that's conducive to violence and poverty and miseducation, those are not the fault of that child. And we've talked exclusively on this show, even the last episode that we had with uh, uh, um, the artist uh, Shad Avad talked about how we had to take responsibility for our own neighborhoods. We have to take on that mantle on cleaning our neighborhoods up uh, from picking up the trash to kicking out those who are corrosive to our neighborhood. We have to expose those, especially if you're a believer in the Bible, um, in the apostolic writings, also known as the New Testament. It tells us that we should not um, uh, 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 imitate darkness, but we should expose those things that are in the darkness. We should expose those things uh, and bring those things to light so that our communities can be whole and be better but for whatever reason a lot of us want to protect the ones 
who continue to allow our communities to be corrosive, to be full with violence, to be full with crime, to be filled with uh, drugs on the street, and to be filled with uh, uh, just miseducation, boarded up houses, blight, and all these different things. Now, don't get me wrong. There are systems in place to make sure those things stay that way. But at the end of the day, it is still the choice of the people in the community to make it that way. You don't have to be rich to have uh, cut grass, no trash on your lawn. You don't have to have a good education to know that allowing drug dealers and pimps on your block ain't going to be good for your children. You don't have to uh, be uh, an employee at a Fortune 500 or banking in six figures to understand that boarded up houses, blight, uh, uh, closed schools in our neighborhood are not good. And it doesn't take a rocket science to realize that there are systems, yes, in place that keep our neighborhoods that way. But we the people, we the people, we can change those neighborhoods one block at a time, if we lift up our voice and begin to help the people who are being victimized. But it has to be a collective. Because obviously if there's, there's one person out there on the island, that person's making themselves unsafe. And I get it. A lot of us have, have wives and children and mouths to feed and, and we don't want to be that martyr for justice in our own community. I completely understand. Hey, I got three children of my own. I got a wife and all that stuff. I get it. But that's why it has to be a collective unit. A collective unit. How, 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 why was it that the African-American community could, could thrive such in the 50s, 40s, uh, the 60s, the 70s? Yeah, we had our issues with racial issues and other problems. But the community itself thrived. Why? Because we took pride in our communities and we didn't let no junk just come up in there. It was a collective on everybody's part to make their community was clean, to make sure it was safe for our children, and to make sure that we had something good to give our children when we were no longer on this earth. The scriptures also talk about passing a legacy to your children. Don't allow your children to start at ground zero just like you did. But anyway, I got off all on a rant. We're talking about juvenile life without parole sentencing and why it needs to be abolished. I don't think I need to tell you why. It's obvious that sentencing a 13 and 14-year-old to life without the possibility of parole is asinine. But we have a lot of smart people on a lot of uh, court benches who, who would argue something different. I'm willing to bet it's because of the color of the of the child's skin or because of the social economic um, social economic class that that child falls into. Usually those are the cases for people who are behind bars. They're black, they're brown and they're poor. All right. But anyway, let's read about this again. This is from the sentencingproject.org. All right. The sentencingproject.org. And we're going to read about some of the children um, and their experiences, most of them, um, that are behind these bars. All right. It says, 
31 states and the District of Columbia do not have any prisoners serving life without parole for crimes committed as juveniles, either due to laws prohibiting the sentence or because there are no individuals serving the sentences at this time. Um, They also have a graphic. It says states that have banned or limited the use of juvenile life without parole sentencing. Um, I will put this up on my Instagram page. So if you are part of these states that still allow juvenile life without parole, please talk to your congressmen, talk to your congresswomen and get this thing abolished. Unfortunately, um, and it's not surprising that the whole entire southeast from Tennessee all the way over to Louisiana, all the way over to North Carolina, all the way down to Florida, um, still allows juvenile a life without parole. The state of Pennsylvania allows juvenile without um, juvenile life without the possibility of parole. Uh, the state of Michigan does the same. The state of Idaho, the state of Montana, the state of Arizona, the state of Nebraska, and the state of Oklahoma. All right, those are the states that allow juvenile without um, juvenile life without the possibility of parole. And I'll put this up on my Instagram as well. And there's other states that allow juvenile life without the possibility of parole and have zero people serving at the moment. Um, and there's people who have banned, they have the graphic that shows people who have banned juvenile life without the possibility of parole and at least one person still serving in it. They they show the states that's banned and there are no people serving in it. So this graphic will show the states that banned it, show the states that banned it and have people serving it, the states that allow it and have zero people serving it, um, and then the states that just allow it. Period. Um, those are all marked. Um, unfortunately, my great state of Illinois, um, Indiana, Missouri, um, yeah, New York, Maine. Uh, they all allow these this this horrific thing to continue to go on. But I'll put that graphic up on my Instagram so you guys can see that for yourself. Uh, continue going on. It says the life experiences of those sentenced to life as juveniles varies, but they are often marked by very difficult upbringings with frequent exposure to violence. They were often victims of abuse themselves. Justice Kagan and Miller ruled that Alabama and Arkansas erred because a mandatory sentencing structure does not take into account the family and home environment. The parishioners in those cases, Contrell Jackson um, and Evan Miller, both 14 at the time of their crimes, grew up in highly unstable homes. Evan Miller was a troubled child. He attempted suicide four times starting at the age of six. Could God have mercy. Contrell Jackson's family. Life was immersed in violence. Both his mother and his grandmother was previously shot, has previously shot other individuals. His mother and brother were sent to prison. The defendant and Graham, Terrence Graham, had parents who were addicted to crack cocaine. Similarly, in similarly in Jones, Justice Sotomayor's dissent noted that Barrett Jones was the victim of violence and neglect that he was too young to escape. In 2012, the Sentencing Project released findings from a survey of people sentenced to life in prison as juveniles and found the defendants in the above case were not unusual. 79% witnessed violence in their homes regularly. 32% grew up in public housing. Fewer than half were attending school at the time of their offense. 47% were physically abused. 80% of girls reported histories of physical abuse and 77% of girls reported history of sexual abuse. 
Racial disparities plague the imprisonment of juvenile life without the possibility of parole sentencing. 62% of people serving this sentence, among those of whom racial data are available, are African American. Now, remember, we only make up 13% of this whole country, but 62% of our youth that are in the juvenile system are serving life sentencing without parole. Or, or at least the ones serving life sentencing without parole, are 60, we make up 62% of those. While 23% of juvenile arrest for murder involve an African-American suspecting of, suspected of killing a white person. 42% of juvenile life without a possibility of parole sentences are for an African-American convicted of this crime. Wow, I'll read that again. While 23% of juvenile arrest for murder involve an African-American suspected of killing a white person, 42% of juvenile life without parole sentencings are of an African-American convicted of this crime. White juvenile offenders with African-American victims are only about half as likely, 3.6%, to receive a juvenile without life parole sentence as their proportion of arrest for killing an African-American is about 6.4%. Aside from the important justice considerations, the financial cost of juvenile life without parole sentences is significant. A life sentence issued to a juvenile is designed to last longer than a life sentence issued to an older defendant, obviously. Housing juveniles for life sentences requires decades of public um, uh, I don't even, I don't shoot. I'll be honest. I don't even know what the heck that word is. Expenditures. Wow. Brain popped in. There you have it. How housing juveniles for a life sentence requires decades of public expenditures. Nationally, it costs over $33,000 per year to house an average prisoner. This cost roughly doubles when that prisoner is over 50. Therefore, a 50-year sentence for a 16-year-old would cost upwards of $2.25 million. So here we go, Mr. President, Madam President, who's ever sitting in the White House at the moment. You want to get rid of our national debt? Uh, you want to help this country's economy grow? Start at prison reform. Start at this juvenile life without parole sentencing bull crap. You can save $2.25 million. Right. And there's so many of the children that are in there doing this. So that's two point two five million times. However, many children are in the justice system with sentences, life sentences without the possibility of parole. And you guys heard the numbers. Of the one sentence into this, we are over 60 percent, our children, African-American children, over 60 percent. And half the time, it's probably because you didn't have a good lawyer. Half the time, it's probably because you're at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Most of the time, it's because you grew up a victim. You grew up abused. You grew up neglected. You grew up thinking that these things were normal. And as a child, you could talk to any child psychologist. If I'm growing up from 0 to 13 and 14, I see these things and I believe these things are normal. You can't judge a child because of his, his or her environment. 
It's not the child's fault. For thinking something is normal. That's how so many children get abused and they never say anything until they're grown because it's not until they're in their 20s and 30s that they realize, wait a minute. This ain't right what happened to me when I was 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. It ain't right. But it's not until they get older that they realize these things. So we cannot blame the child for doing the very things that their environment tells them this is what you're supposed to do. Whether it's rob, whether it's assault, and God forbid, whether it's rape and murder. We cannot blame a child for the environment in which they were raised. It just is that's not just. That's not loving justice, doing justice and loving mercy. All right. But to 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 end this out, we're going to um we're going to listen to uh, a brother by the name of Brian Stevenson. All right. So Brian Stevenson is an American lawyer. A social justice activist, founder, executive director of Equal Justice Initiative, and a law professor at New York University School of Law based in Montgomery, Alabama. Stevenson has challenged bias against the poor and the minorities in the criminal justice system, especially children. He has helped achieve United States Supreme Court decisions that prohibited sentencing children under 18 to death or life imprisonment without parole. Stevenson has assisted in cases that have dozens of prison, have saved dozens of prisoners from the death penalty, advocated for the poor and developed community based reform uh, litigation and aimed at improving the administration of criminal Justice. So here is what uh, Mr. Stevenson has to say um, when it comes to uh, juvenile uh, life sentences without the possibility of parole. Now, I did edit this video because it had um, had a lot of dead spots with just music in it and writing. And obviously, this is a podcast, so you cannot see that. Uh, but I will put this video up on my Instagram at Jacob Seed uh, Twelve at Jacob Seed Twelve. Um, I also put it up on my Patreon, patreoncom Jacob Seed Podcast. If you want to see the whole unedited um, video, but here is what Mr. Stevenson has to say when it pertains to juvenile um, sentence getting life sentences without the possibility of parole. Life without parole is supposed to be a judgment that says this person is beyond hope, beyond redemption, beyond rehabilitation, has been given opportunities to change and hasn't changed and therefore should be properly condemned for their commitment to criminality, to violence, to destruction. You can never say that about a child of 13 and 14. All kids do stupid things. All kids do bad things. Uh, poor kids, kids who are living in the streets, kids who have no family, kids who are homeless, kids who are drug addicted, kids who have been subjected to a lot of trauma and violence and abuse tend to do bad things that are much worse, that can be violent, that can be criminal, but they're still kids and their capacity for change is enormous. And to ignore that capacity to change is to deny uh, their child's status and I think that's cruel. It's no less cruel than making kids work in factories at six or seven or subjecting kids to prostitution or abusing kids. All of that's wrong because kids have vulnerabilities and needs that have to be acknowledged and protected. We took up Joe's case along with about 20 others because we thought it represented the problems uh, with uh, the plight of kids in the adult criminal justice system that we think are important. Uh, the problem of legal representation, 
Uh, I think in this country we treat uh, people better if they're rich and guilty than if they're poor and innocent. And we want to challenge that. We don't think it should be about wealth. We don't think it should be about the resources you have. We think it should be about culpability, about your guilt or your innocence. And so Joe's case fit, fit that criteria. Uh, we were concerned about excessive sentencing. And for a 13-year-old to be sentenced to life without parole uh, for a non-homicide was quite extreme, quite unusual, and so it fit that criteria. And we were also concerned about race. Uh, the overwhelming majority of these kids who've been condemned to die in prison are kids of color. Uh, all of the kids who've been sentenced to life without parole for non-homicides are African-American. Uh, most of the kids, 13 and 14, who've been sentenced to die in prison are, are kids of color, uh, African-American, Latino, Native American. And so uh, we wanted to do something about that. Joe's case had a lot of racialized features. It was called black boy several times uh, in a derogatory way by witnesses. Um, there were comments made about um, his appearance that uh, aided the court in finding him worthy of a life without parole sentence. So all of those things were relevant to us in making this the kind of case that we, we should take. One of the important rights that the framers thought was important is that we protect people from cruel and abusive punishments because the government has lots of power and the power to incarcerate, the power uh, to isolate, to take away liberty or to take away life is the most awesome power that government has. And the framers thought it was important to limit that power and to make sure that that power isn't used in a cruel or unusual or abusive way. And that's why they created the Eighth Amendment. And I think that there are uh, punishments that have emerged in the last 20, 25 years uh, that are also cruel and unusual. And we need to make the Eighth Amendment a more robust uh, protection for people in our society than it has been because I think our capacity for punishment and harsh punishment seems to have grown. Something really radical in this country has happened over the last 35 years, even outside of the juvenile context. I mean, we have become um, the most punitive place on the planet. We have the highest rate of incarceration in the world. Our prison population went from 200,000 in 1972 to 2.3 million today. So we shouldn't be the kind of country uh, that has to reconcile itself to throwing away children. Uh, I, to me, it just, um, I think we are ultimately going to be stained by our indifference to the plight of kids in the adult prison system. I think we were ultimately going to be burdened by our tolerance of this gross racial discrimination and disparities in that, and the racial bias that has perpetuated that. I think we're going to be condemned by our failures to protect and recognize the needs of kids in the criminal justice system, the way we recognize and protect kids in other contexts. And so for me, I think a favorable decision would be good for our clients, obviously, but I think it would be good for this country. So that was uh, uh, Mr. Stevenson on uh, Juvenile Without Life Parole. And although I read those numbers from the sentencingproject.org, it seems that he has better numbers than seeing all, not just 62%, but every last person sentenced um, to non-homicidal juvenile life without parole are black and brown children. Man, if that is not injustice, I don't know what it is. So people, we have to open up our eyes. As I said in the beginning, yes, we celebrated Juneteenth and it should be celebrated, but we have so much more to fight for. We're still waiting 
um, on change for so many things. Uh, we have so many things that that um, that we're still waiting on change for. Um, and and again, I, I read them off in the beginning, whether it's supporting black farmers, this criminal justice reform, uh, making sure that the right education is taught in a school to our to our black and brown children, uh, making sure that our neighborhoods are safe, making sure that the, the, the wealth gap is closed and wage disparity and racial discrimination and uh, rep- all these different things that hopefully we'll be talking talking about in the next few months. Uh, we're still waiting on those changes. So. Um, if you have any uh, juvenile with uh, out life parole uh, advocacy groups um, in your in your area, if you are in Montgomery, Alabama, I believe that's where he's at. Um, you want to connect with Mr. Stevens, uh, please do that. Mr. Stevenson, please do that. Uh, if you have advocacy groups, if you have dot uh, orgs that you want to give to whatever you want to do um, to um, support um, or to help be a part of the change and uh, get ridding the getting rid of this gross uh, 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 injustice in our country, um, in this country, I should say, uh, please do so. Be a part of the change that is needed in your life and in the life of your children and the life of somebody else's children, because uh, it's just it's just the right thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. Um, so as always, I know this wasn't a, a cheer me up type of thing, but again, it's to bring uplifting thought-provoking and encouraging content out to all of you who are listening so again this is your host Yahoo with jacob c podcast thank you guys for listening as always keep it 98.2 uh, uh live out the truth i'm sorry search out the truth um live it out and inform others shalom mm-hmm.